Well, hello everyone. Thanks for joining us today online. Um, we're not Christ the King. It's really hot, and uh, we were thinking about everyone's comfort and safety. So we are online today, and full disclosure, it's weird um, recording a sermon like this. So um, one, I give Daniel props for doing it for Daniel and Matt for doing it throughout most of COVID. So um, if I seem awkward or offbeat. I am, and that's what it is, but we're going to continue in um, Psalm 32, our series on the Psalms, and this is a Psalm that's been really helpful for me to reflect on and lead me in prayer and in confession. So as we actually step through, there will be times where we can sit and meditate on particular prompts or questions or certain scriptures that will show up on the slides, and you can pause those pause on those slides and take the time you need to reflect, pray, journal, whatever you need to do to make that time meaningful for you, um, and then resume the video and continue watching. So that said, we'll um, start right away. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Selah. Well, I'd venture to say that most of us have heard the Sermon on the Mount before. That's the sermon in the Gospel of Matthew that Jesus preaches from chapters 5 to chapter 7. The beginning of that sermon, if you look in the titles in your Bible, is usually called the Beatitudes, which literally means the blessings. It's called that because it starts as blessed are the meek, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, the Hebrew word for blessing that shows up often in the Psalms can actually be literally translated as happy. So, happy are the meek, happy are the poor in spirit. Happiness is the thing that many believe is the most important thing in life. And good news, the Bible does teach us how to be happy, yet it may disagree that it's the most important thing in life. There's a host of statements in the New Testament and the Old Testament that show us how to live a happy life or a blessed life. And King David, writing this psalm, has a blessed state of his own that he would like to share with us one that he has through experience learned to enter into. He says, happy are the forgiven. Now, David's comprehensive in what this forgiveness entails. He uses a wide range of words to cover this idea, and he's really painting a word picture here. This is poetry, and I want us to all see it with the nuance and creativity that David originally intended it to have. So. Happy is the person whose transgression is forgiven. Now, transgression, to transgress means to violate trust in the relationship. This can be any relationship, really. Your friends, co-workers, spouse, parents, or children. However, Scripture teaches us that all of our relationships are images and reflections of our relationship with God. So much so that to love others is taught by Paul as one of the surest ways to love God. David says that one who is happy 
is one whose failures and relationships have been forgiven and forgotten. They've been removed from them as far as east is from west, and those relationships' trust has been restored. Happy is the person whose sin is covered. Sin essentially means moral failure. It is the failure to live up to the standards of God as described in Scripture. David says that a happy person is a person whose sin has been covered. We remember Adam and Eve in the garden. After they sinned, their failure caused them great shame and great guilt. And they looked for a way to hide that guilt, so they grabbed some nearby foliage. But that was never going to be enough. They were hiding. And David calls us to seek refuge not in our own coverings, in the lies we tell ourselves to relieve our guilt, or in our li the lives we build to battle our shame, but in God. He covers us. He removes our shame. He removes our guilt, and he alone. Happy is the person whose iniquity is not counted against them. Yeah. This is a counting language, the idea that we've racked up a pretty large bill and it amounts to a heavy weight. The word iniquity in Hebrew literally means crookedness. It's the opposite of righteousness and often it's accompanied by a host of lies about what is really good and what is really right. And the weight of these distortions piles up and before we know it our back is bent out of shape by the weight of our own crookedness. This is the biblical idea of bearing our iniquities. David says that the happy person is one whose wickedness does not pile up. It's not counted against them. It's removed and taken away. And David knows what it feels like to be under these burdens. He remembers what broken relationships feel like. He knows what moral failure does to someone's soul over time. It eats away at you. Guilt and shame build up like bacteria until we find ourselves in a state of spiritual, spiritual sepsis. But David knows how to relieve it all, to remove it, reverse the effects. He knows how to live in freedom from shame and guilt. And he says the way to happiness and to blessedness is through confession. And confession is simple in theory. It's coming to God and telling the truth. We stop putting on an act. We stop lying to ourselves and to God. We stop trying to cover up ourselves. And sometimes we know this. Sometimes we're aware enough to know what we're doing. It gets complicated, though, and we don't. We've become calloused. Our, hard, our hearts have become hard. We get very good, very practiced at lying to ourselves. And that's why it's important to ask God not only to forgive, but to show us what needs forgiving in the first place. So I want us to meditate on this. There will be some questions and prompts and scriptures on the screen. And pray as David prays in Psalm 139, saying, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. The prompts will again only be on the screen for a minute or two, so pause the video and resume once you've had the time to work through them, pray through them, and journal through them. I'll be back in a moment to lead us in a time of confession.
I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. Hopefully you've spent some time in reflection, and I pray that God revealed himself and yourself to you. I want us to take the next couple of minutes to confess those things to God, those things that he revealed to us. Tell the truth and stop trying to hide under the false fig leaf identities that we so often run to for shelter. The promise that we have in scripture is this, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He will carry away the burden of your failure. And this is how we achieve happiness, by acknowledging ourselves to God and by pleading the cross of Jesus. He bore our iniquities. He bore them for all mankind on the cross. You don't need to keep paying that debt. It's already been paid. He, even more than David, can bear witness to the separation, the agony, and the weariness that accompanies these burdens because, again, he bore them for all mankind. One of the beautiful truths of Scripture is that he himself is making his prayers known before the Father for you, pleading his righteousness for your salvation and for your sanctification. So take this time to pray with Jesus, confess to the Father, and be restored.
Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely, in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Selah. Any true confession you've made, the Father has heard. And he has forgiven you. Instead of being surrounded by shouts of accusation and guilt and shame and weakness, there's only one voice speaking over you. The same voice that brought the earth into being that splits the cedars is speaking, shouting, and singing deliverance over you. He's declaring to all creation that this is my child. He is declaring his steadfast love for you, church. Let me read a blessing for us from scripture. It's in Micah 7, 18 through 20. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. He will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the day of old. Sure of the Father's love for you, it is time to return to your confession. Not to enter guilt and shame, but to go into battle alongside the Lord of hosts against it. It's a long battle a long process. It's more about learning than achieving, more about obeying than taking charge. David's words here are God's voice speaking through him. He is with you in your struggle. He wants to lead you and guide you through it. He wants you to learn. Ask him now to show you what you need to do. He's your father. He protects you. You can enter into your troubles with surety and security in your identity and foundation. Take this time to enter into obedience and submit to the loving guidance of your Father. Well, church, I hope this time was a blessing for you, and I'm going to leave you with the last couple verses of Psalm 32. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. 
Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all of you upright in heart. Amen, church. See you soon.